0: and welcome to the Net Positive podcast. I am your host, Ted Flanagan, and this episode of the Net Positive features Econet News, volume 24, issue number two, Scaling Hydrogen. Flanagan's ecologic, the hydrogen shot. Reminiscent of the moonshot that put John Armstrong on the lunar surface, And like the U.S. Department of Energy's 2011 SunShot that helped drive down the cost of solar, the Hydrogen Shot Initiative is an industry challenge to drive down the cost of clean hydrogen. The target is $1 per kilogram by 2032. That's an 80% reduction in costs. On June 7th, 2021, Secretary of Energy Jennifer Granholm, announced the Energy Earth Shots initiative to accelerate breakthroughs of more abundant, more affordable, and reliable clear energy solutions within the decade. The first Energy Earth Shot is the Hydrogen Shot. To put its one kilogram goal for clean hydrogen in perspective, commercially available hydrogen today costs about $2 a kilogram in the United States and five to six kilograms in Europe. But the key is the color. Gray hydrogen sets the baseline price at $2 per kilogram. Most of the 10 billion metric tons of hydrogen produced in the United States each year is from natural gas through steam methane reforming. Hydrogen is stripped off natural gas. That's the gray stuff. Green hydrogen is made by zapping water with renewable electricity, using an electrolyzer to split water molecules to produce hydrogen and oxygen with virtually no greenhouse gases or criteria pollutant emissions. This has cost 10 to $15 a kilogram. Fortunately, green hydrogen costs have fallen to $3 to $6.55 per kilogram, according to a European Commission 2020 report. That same report stated that fossil-based gray hydrogen has dropped to $1.80 per kilogram. A few more hydrogen colors. Blue hydrogen is made by stripping hydrogen from natural gas and sequestering the carbon. Brown hydrogen is made from coal. In concept, pink hydrogen takes high-temperature nuclear reactor waste heat to boost renewably-powered electrolyzers' efficiency. To ramp up green hydrogen production, and given inefficiencies in converting to and from hydrogen, there is a profound need for access to low-cost electricity. It can be sourced from wind, solar, or geothermal, as long as it is green and sustainable. Then there's the technology side, the manufacture of electrolyzers. A rise in demand is resulting in more units. Demand is driving down costs. Concurrently, electrolyzer efficiency is rising. Higher temperature electrolysis is also coming into focus to boost production. The largest hydrogen electrolyzer in the world has been Beifeng Energy's 150-megawatt facility in China. Larger facilities are already under construction. Bloomberg New Energy predicts that electrolyzer installations in 2022 will quadruple installations from last year. Without question, hydrogen is on the go, a storage medium, a fuel for power plants and vehicles. The green stuff will be a key element in our sustainable future. The key to widespread use of green hydrogen is the renewable energy to power it and the cost of doing so. This Econet issue features several stories on green hydrogen in Spain and New Zealand, plus a brand new initiative to pipe green hydrogen into the Los Angeles basin. Fact of the week. Major power cuts, a red alert in London, many homes lost power, flights canceled, Storm Eunice blew across London, southeast England, and parts of continental Europe. Eunice punched 80 mile per hour winds, gusts up to 122 miles per hour. The fact and silver lining wind provided 42% of England's electricity during the storm. The Angeles Link Green hydrogen for LA. Just this past week, Southern California Gas made a major announcement about green hydrogen. It has submitted an application to the California Public Utilities Commission to build the infrastructure and the pipelines to deliver green hydrogen into the Los Angeles Basin. Its plan is to develop the nation's largest green hydrogen energy infrastructure program. The Angeles Link is envisioned to supply enough green hydrogen to convert four natural gas power plants to green hydrogen to fuel a number of essential industries and to fuel 3 million vehicles. The project will consist of electrolyzers, energy storage, and pipelines. SoCal Gas plans to use much of the excess wind and solar capacity that has been curtailed. The project involves 2,000 megawatts of energy storage. The project will require up to 750 miles of special hydrogen pipeline. Initially, the hydrogen system will deliver one quarter of the service level that it provides today with 100% natural gas. The SoCal gas green hydrogen concept is groundbreaking. It's a means of powering cities of the future at any and all hours. To its proponents, the green hydrogen pipeline system is the missing link in the energy equation. Stay tuned for more details on its cost and scalability. Federal funding for Amtrak, EV charging, and hydrogen. The Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act will fund $1 trillion in upgrades. The bill will funnel billions to states and local governments to upgrade roads, bridges, transit systems, railways, ports, clean water systems, and the electricity grid, including EV charging. It is touted as bipartisan. It was signed by 19 Senate Republicans and 13 House GOP members and signed by the president on November 15, 2021. And now the money is flowing. The U.S. lags behind the rest of the world in reliability, speed, and coverage of passenger rail. China already has 22,000 miles of high-speed rail. The infrastructure bill will direct a $66 million infusion to eliminate Amtrak's maintenance backlog, to modernize the Northeast Corridor, and to bring world-class rail service to areas outside of the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. It will be the largest investment in passenger rail since Amtrak's creation. The infrastructure bill also calls for an investment of $7.5 billion to build out a national network of electric vehicle chargers in the United States. The legislation directs funding for the deployment of EV chargers along highway corridors to facilitate long-distance travel. States are now getting the go-ahead to build a nationwide network It will place charging stations every 50 miles along the nation's highway. It's an important part of the infrastructure bill, sketching out a vision of seamless, climate-friendly car travel from coast to coast. States can now submit plans, and if approved, can be building chargers this fall. The direction is clear. Focus on the highway corridors, alternative transportation fuel routes. According to Consumer Reports, anxiety about limited range, and the availability of charging stations are among the top concerns consumers have about EVs. Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, suggested that the big wide open spaces of the US no longer need to be a valley of death for EV drivers. He and Energy Secretary Granholm drive Ford Mustang SUVs. She called building the network of chargers creating the spine of the national network of EV chargers. The infrastructure bill provides money for clean hydrogen. The infrastructure bill provides money for clean hydrogen. The U.S. Department of Energy this past week announced $9.5 billion to advance the deployment of hydrogen and to drive down the costs of clean hydrogen. The goal? To get the cost of clean hydrogen to less than $1 per kilogram. The next step? Two requests for information have now been sent out to the industry. The first RFI will use $8 billion dollars, to create regional clean hydrogen hubs. The other billion dollars is to help shape the Clean Hydrogen Electrolysis Program. Its goal is to reduce the cost of hydrogen produced from clean energy. The RFIs will gather input from regional leaders, local groups, environmental justice community members, researchers, and technology developers to inform the design of clean hydrogen programs. Responses to the RFIs are due in March. The RFI guidance will hone DOE investments to spur hydrogen production. Green Hydrogen in Spain and New Zealand Hydeal España is touted as the world's largest integrated renewable and competitive hydrogen hub. Located in northern Spain, it's the first industrial implementation of the Hydeal Ambition platform, a plan to deliver competitively priced renewable hydrogen to industrial complexes through what is called the Hydrogen Stream. When fully built out, HyDeal España will consist of 9,500 megawatts of solar and 7,400 megawatts of electrolysis by 2030. It is slated to produce 6.6 million tons of green hydrogen over the next 20 years and is ranked as the largest gigascale renewable hydrogen project in the world. Its output will be used to create green steel, green ammonia, green fertilizers, and other low-carbon industrial and energy products. In New Zealand, the largest hydroelectricity generator, Manapouri, currently supplies the TY point aluminum smelter. It consumes about 12% of New Zealand's electricity. The smelter is being closed, and its power supply agreement expires in 2024. That frees up 438 gigawatt-hours of renewable power annually for another use. The planned Southern Green Hydrogen Project will use that power and will develop 600 megawatts of electrolyzers to establish large-scale green hydrogen production and export facilities. Meanwhile, one of the project partners, the Australian FFI, plans to convert New South Wales coal generators to green hydrogen and to build the world's largest electrolyzer plant there. 100-hour iron-air battery storage. An old battery chemistry is being dusted off iron-air batteries, and they may compete well or complement lithium-ion batteries. They're based on the use of iron pellets. Form energy batteries use an iron-air exchange flow battery technology. Known for decades, the rechargeable iron-air battery has several features. It is low-cost, safe, durable, and can be readily scaled since the technology is based on three cheap and readily available materials, iron, air, and water, versus critical minerals for other battery chemistries. Iron air has the promise to be one-tenth the cost of lithium ion and easily recyclable. It harnesses the process of reversible rusting. The batteries convert iron to rust back and forth, while discharging the batteries breathe in oxygen from air and converts iron metal to rust. While charging, the application of an electrical current converts the rust back to iron and the battery breathes out oxygen. This low-cost solution for multi-day storage has attracted over $200 million in investments. Each individual battery module is about the size of a washing machine. Form reports that each battery has the capacity equivalent to a Chevy Bolt, about 65 kilowatt hours. Each module, or cube, is filled with water-based, non-flammable electrolyte. Bathed in liquid electrolyte are stacks of 10 to 20 meter scale cells, which include iron electrodes and air electrodes. Georgia Power will collaborate with the Massachusetts-based startup Form Energy to develop an energy storage project that will be 15 megawatts and a whopping 1,500 megawatt hours in size, creating long-duration energy storage. This will be FORM's largest deployment. It also has an agreement in place with Great River Energy, a cooperative in Minnesota, for a battery system there. Incidentally, one megawatt requires about an acre of land. If they are stacked, FORM suggests an output of about 3 megawatts per acre. Form Energy is backed by Breakthrough Energy Ventures, which is led by Bill Gates. It is also backed by the Southern Company, Georgia Power's parent. Form believes it can produce batteries with 100 hours of storage at a cost of less than $20 a kilowatt hour. Georgia Power appears to be on a roll, committed to retire all coal by 2028 and to install 2,300 megawatts of solar in the next three years. The utility is building big batteries. It has built the 65-megawatt, 260-megawatt-hour Mossy Branch Battery Facility. It plans to install 265-megawatts with 530-megawatt-hours of battery energy storage at its McGraw substation north of Atlanta. The utility's recent integrated resource plan also calls for long-duration energy storage to complement these four- and two-hour systems, thus the form fit. Army Green News. The U.S. Army plans to install a microgrid at every one of its 130 bases worldwide by 2035. According to microgrid knowledge, the military has been an advocate and an early mover on microgrids for years. Microgrids bring energy independence to military facilities. Many of these were generators. Now they will be carbon-free. The Defense Department is focused on enhancing the safety of soldiers, already experiencing effects of climate change. The DOD has long called climate change a threat multiplier. It exacerbates many of the challenges the armed forces have to deal with, extreme conditions. It is planning to procure renewables and storage to self-sustain its critical missions on all Army installations by 2040. The Army's goal is to reduce GHG emissions to 50% of 2005 levels by 2032 and to net zero emissions by 2050. Three notable military microgrids already exist. They are at Fort Hunter Liggett in California, the Redstone Arsenal in Alabama, and Fort Bragg in North Carolina. Another 24 projects are in planning stages. The Army is also working on microgrids for its contingency bases. These are temporary sites that the Army wants to make less reliant on fossil fuels. The microgrid announcement is part of a larger climate strategy. The Army's climate plan calls for electrifying its vehicle fleets. Its goal is to make its non-tactical light vehicles electric by 2027 and all remaining non-tactical vehicles electric by 2035. The Army is also planning for all tactical vehicles to be first hybrid by 2035 and then fully electric by 2050. In addition to lowering emissions, electric vehicles allow Allow vehicle electronics to be operated with their engines shut off, making them quieter and cooler, and thus harder to hear or see through infrared vision. Rooftop Community Solar in New York, Long Island, Sun Nation, and CARP. The location, the developer, the site owner. Ten acres of rooftops host a 1.78 megawatt solar system. Who gets the power? Off takers some 175 community solar participants. They choose to invest in a community array. Some cannot host their own system and want to go solar nevertheless. Community solar is an answer. a means for apartment owners or renters or those in the shade to buy solar power and locally. Long Island is about 100 miles long and 10 miles wide at its thickest. It's valuable real estate. The shifting community solar arrays from ground mount arrays to rooftops makes sense. CARP Associates Manufacturing Facility in Melville, New York, hosts the largest rooftop community solar project on Long Island. CARP manufactures industrial access doors and hatches. It is already green. It is retrofitted as lighting, invested in geothermal heating. The company re- recycles shipping materials and uses non-emissions paint. And it has massive rooftops. The Community Solar Project is built and consists of two rooftops with 3,456 and 972 panels, LG 400 and 405 watt modules. The 178 megawatt project uses Selectria string inverters. It is part of Sun Nation's five megawatts of community solar plant aggregate capacity on Long Island, a region where about half of all ratepayers live in homes that are not conducive to solar. Embodied Carbon in Buildings There are two types of carbon associated with buildings, operational carbon and embodied carbon. Operational is the carbon related to the fuels that keep the building running. Embodied carbon is the energy used to build the building. How much carbon did it take to make the steel, the concrete? Embodied carbon refers to the total impact of all human-induced greenhouse gases emitted from material extraction through the end of its useful life. Building operations and construction are responsible for approximately 39% of global greenhouse gas emissions. More than a fourth of those are embodied carbon emissions, those associated with the production of building materials and construction activities. Most of these emissions are the result of steel and cement manufacturing. Aluminum, glass, and insulation manufacturing are secondary contributors. The New Buildings Institute has recently released a report, Life Cycle GHG Impacts in Building Codes. It finds that as operational carbon emissions are reduced through efficient building codes and a cleaner power system, embodied carbon will become a larger part of the building's total carbon emissions. In fact, embodied carbon may be responsible for nearly half of total new construction emissions between now and 2050. That certainly gives code developers food for thought. Just as we are successful in reducing operational emissions, can we also reduce embodied carbon emissions? Hmm. Ten design commandments for how architects can achieve cost-effective emissions reductions. Design for 60 years plus nothing short-term. Avoid sites requiring deep foundations and expensive soil stabilization. Consider structural options. Would a lighter or timber frame work? Specify low-carbon materials? Optimize building shape? Use thinner floors, labs, etc.? The list goes on. Clearly, there are potent solutions for building decarbonization of embodied carbon. That's it. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of The Net Positive. We'll see you next time.